Major Lindsay and Africa presents Bouncing Back, conversations about resilience for lawyers. Welcome to Bouncing Back, Resilience for Lawyers. This podcast is brought to you by Major Lindsay and Africa, the global leader in legal search and consulting. I'm your host, Rebecca Glabler. I'm a managing director in the associate practice group at Major Lindsay and Africa. In this podcast, I'll speak to successful professionals about the hiccups, bumps, bruises, and setbacks they've experienced in their careers and personal lives, and how they ultimately bounce back from those experiences to thrive. Today, my guest is Judge Shannon Friesen. Judge Friesen was appointed to the Massachusetts Superior Court in 2013 at the age of 42. Prior to that, she served on the Boston Municipal Court from 2009 to 2013, beginning her tenure on the bench at age 39. Before her appointment, Judge Friesen practiced locally and abroad as owner of Friesen Law Firm. Her practice focused on blue-collar criminal law and military justice. Judge Friesen spent nearly seven years as a litigation associate at the former white-collar defense firm Dwyer & Cholera in Boston, Massachusetts, prior to opening her own firm. Judge Friesen earned her bachelor's degree from Harvard University and Radcliffe College. She went on to receive her Juris Doctorate from Georgetown University Law Center. Judge Friesen was admitted to the Massachusetts Bar in 1995 and began her career as an assistant district attorney with the Norfolk County District Attorney's Office. Judge Friesen holds the rank of major in the United States Marine Corps and as a Marine Corps judge advocate. She completed officer candidate school and accepted her commission in the U.S. Marine Corps in 1994. She continued on to complete the basic school and Naval Justice School in 1997. From 1997 to 2000, she was the prosecutor for Marine Corps Air Station New River in Jacksonville, North Carolina. In addition to serving the country and practicing law, she has served as a government teaching fellow at Brandeis University for three years as well as appearing as a guest lecturer at Brandeis on military justice and military tribunals. Judge Friesen was also recently a member of the Boston Bar Association's Task Force to Prevent Wrongful Convictions and Harvard Law School's Trial Advocacy Workshop. She is a past president of the Massachusetts Black Judges Conference, and Judge Friesen is a jurist, a major of Marines, and a mentor to new trial lawyers. Judge Friesen, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. So I wanted to start off reading your bio. There's so many juicy things to focus on. But one of the first things that sort of caught my eye um, as someone who has a grandfather who served in the Marines and knowing how tough Marines tend to be, um, I was really interested in what motivated your decision to join the Marine Corps, um, especially, you know, given there was a time when black people couldn't serve and our military women weren't allowed to serve, LGBT. TQ folks weren't allowed to serve openly. Um, I wanted to know a little bit more about that. You're you're correct. That those were all um, uh, very real restrictions and barriers at the time that I joined the Marine Corps. I uh, joined while I was in law school, and I think not just now, but back then as well, people sort of looked at that with confusion um, and would often ask me, why, why are you doing this now? You're in law school, are you going to be a lawyer and make a lot of money or whatever? And why, you know, why would you 
go in the armed forces. And that I made that decision during law school because I wanted another part of my career or a second career that was at least partly physical in nature. Um, I found out sort of accidentally about the judge advocate programs in, in the Marine Corps in particular. And I thought it was a perfect fit. I was able to um, get that physicality. I was able to um, serve the country and I was able to practice law and, and sort of do it all in one setting. Um, so I started on my journey to becoming a Marine then um, during the second year of my um, three years of law school. And essentially the summer after my second year, went to officer candidate school, um, became an officer at that point. And when I left law school, um, I was you know, slated to go to the basic school, which I did, and Naval Justice School, which I did, and then start uh, practicing in, in the Marine Corps, which I did. And so it was, uh, it, it was an interesting time when I came on to active duty. It was before Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And so it was even more uh, strange <laughs> amongst the services. And I think shortly after I left active duty, uh, we went into Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And that uh, did change some things, but it had its own uh, problems as well. So I'm very pleased to be alive and see the end of all of that, um, where folks who have been serving anyway um, can now serve openly and include their families and get all the benefits of every other service member. Indeed. Agreed. Agreed. Um, you, know, and, and, you know, what happens in the dark comes to the light. It's one of those things that, you know, as someone who was in the closet in the, for, during the first part of her legal career when I was practicing, um, causes all sorts of undue stress um, to have this, you know, duality in your life. Um, you know, I don't know when uh, President Clinton signed that law into effect or, or had that occur, but in the military there was an understanding um, that that would cause all sorts of other issues. So I too am, am pleased that um, LGBTQ folk can, can serve actively and out and openly and proudly uh, now. Uh, I was thinking about the duality of having visited Georgetown Law School um, and having um, presented to one else there the duality of the you know, beautiful white fancy building and then going to basic training <laughs> and like I don't know I'm visualizing you like rolling around in the mud and like um you know all of that yes juxtaposition was that did it feel how did that feel you know um you know going from the hollowed halls of Georgetown University Law Center to uh basic training it is it is pretty much a culture shock um going from one environment to the other, the the Marine Corps, you know, is a very very unique environment to be in, no matter no matter where you're coming from. But um, certainly coming from you know such a um, large and um, you know sort of uh, conservative institution, it. Um, it is certainly a culture shock going between the two worlds. But I think as a young person, you know, 
in your 20s, early 20s. Uh, that's what life's about. You, 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 it's time for you to do all sorts of things. And they may not all be congruent with each other, uh, which shouldn't stop you from doing them. But that's, that's essentially how it felt. It was, it was like two different worlds. Indeed. It, 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 it shows that you can thrive in all kinds of environments. It's, it's impressive um, uh, to, to those, not, those of us who are non-military folk. Um, I also wanted to ask, Judge, you are one of just a few Black, openly LGBTQ women who serves on the bench. I was trying to get my arms around some of the statistics before this interview, and um, some of what I have is a little bit dated, but the statistics are dismal, right? Um, you know, I have a 2019 stat that says that uh, of the 374 trial court justices in the U.S. system, only 39 um, are persons of color. I found a, a more recent stat that said that only 10% of the judges in the lower federal courts are Black. Um, this is really evil. Uh, 0.9% of sitting judges in the lower federal courts identify as LGBTQ. Um, so we don't even get to 1% there. Um, and only 27% of sitting judges in the lower federal courts are women. And this is, of course, the federal courts. And it's, you know, it's just across the board. The statistics are not great. Um, you're something of a unicorn checking a bunch of different boxes. Um, and on top of being one of the few, um, you have made a conscious choice to be unapologetically you uh, while serving on the bench. Um, you have visible tattoos. I'm a little jealous. I have some tattoos of my own that I want to sleeve on my arm, but I haven't done it yet, partially because of COVID. Um, so you're you're where I want to be. Um, I've seen some other pictures. You have short hair, shorter than mine. Um, you dress in a gender non-conforming way, like I do. Um, all of this I admire, but it takes some guts when you know our profession tends to um, encourage people to conform. Um, the society encourages people to conform, but our conservative um, profession, the legal profession also encourages people to perform and uh, you know, conform and rewards people seemingly historically for conforming. And so I wanted to, you know, sort of better understand how serving in the military and or some of your other formative experiences have impacted how you've decided to um, be as a judge. I think for everyone, and that, and so I'm included. Your, you, you are the sum of all of your parts. So, um, going between one type of life and another, between professions, um, it it all serves, I think, to make you well-rounded and to perhaps think about things differently uh, than people who spend the majority of their time in in one one arena and the the journey to uh being authentic i think is 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 very stressful it's been stressful for me you you know people may see the end result you know but it is uh years of the same battles that we all have with the you know, here's what a Marine is supposed to look like. Here's what the judge is supposed to look like. Here's what a lawyer is supposed to look like. And um, do you fit that? You know, it's constantly trying to meet a, a particular standard. And I think at some point, um, 
I have made the decision to set the standard. <laughs> so, um, you know, I had this short hair on active duty. That that was problematic for a lot of people. Uh, it was not something that was common at that time. I think it's much more common now, but it yes. was not common at that time. Um, the Marine Corps really did not want women to have their heads shaved or cut very low. Uh, that was pretty much taboo. And so, you know, I sort of had to um, break that that barrier and because it didn't make any sense. Um, as you stated earlier, we were crawling through the mud. We were out on the range all day shooting. We were in the field for a week at a time. We were, you know, it, it, it's all of that. And to me, you know, having to do my hair made absolutely no sense. <laughs> so, yeah, just um, a, kind of a time suck when you yeah, could be, could be yeah, doing other so things, right? It, so it was, it was actually very practical as well as, um, you know, making a point that, Hey, not all women are going to have long hair. Not all women want long hair. And there's no uh, military purpose <laughs> for it. Right. So um, so it was not the source of anything formal, but I did have a lot of informal um, conversations, criticism, debate about that. Um, coming into law and onto the bench, um, that journey continued with um, whether it be, you know, how I look physically or my hair or my style of dress. Um, you know, I have been known to wear ties a lot. And, you know, that was different for the court here in Massachusetts for, for women. And, um, and obviously, like you stated, I have uh, tattoos and, and continue to uh, work on those tattoos, continue to get that work done. And that's been a source of um, curiosity and debate and everything else. So the, the, the path to getting to where, you know, I do my work and live my life to the fullest is, is it's not been without some, some hiccups um, and questioning, you know, is this really how I want to go about things? But certainly the older I get, the more I think there's really no other way to go about things. Um, I cannot go through life being or trying to be anyone else. And in terms of the standards, standards are made by humans and changed by humans. And so, you know, I don't see any of those things as permanent barriers or issues that should that should remain in place. And so it's my one of my goals is to use myself as an example for people to step fully into themselves at the same time that they're stepping fully into work and and to make all of that work together and to accept the challenges of anyone who says that it can't work together. So um, you know, for the Massachusetts courts, you don't even have to go into the, 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 the different identities. You can stop at black jurists because there are only two of us on the superior court. And go. I find that to be dismal as a, as a stat and ridiculous, um, for 2022. Okay. So <clears throat> there are a bunch of reasons that I try to be open 
transparent and keep the um, conversation about these issues going. And not so much for me and my trajectory, but for all the folks coming uh, behind me and alongside me to hopefully uh, not have the same issues or at least not at the same intensity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you are a pathbreaker in many ways and um, difficult when you're the first in all these different areas and you have been the first in lots of lots of areas. Um, I wonder, you know, you sort of alluded to this um, in answering my last question. You know, you said it's been it's been work. It's taken time. Um, it alluded to the fact that it's taken time to sort of fully accept yourself and say this is um, this is who I am and here's what I'm, you know, damn the consequences, if you will. Um, there's no other way to be. Life is short and I'm going to be who I am. You know, that is always a process. And I'm interested to know for those in our listening audience who are trying to figure that out for themselves. I do think for some folks, um, you know, we fall into law. Um, it sounds good, right? It looks good on paper. I don't, you know, I don't like math or science. I'm not going to be a doctor. Um, being a lawyer is still prestigious in this country. Uh, in, you know, it can pay well um, and be very advocate for There's all sorts of excellent things you can get out of the profession. Um, you can help change the law or shape the law. Um, but sometimes people just sort of it's like a fallback, right? You know, if if you know if you don't want to be a doctor, um, or you don't know you're not going to be an engineer, or you don't want to be a teacher, you know, this is the thing that seems to make sense. Um, and so I talked to lawyers day in day out who are a little bit, you know, kind of unsure. Like now that I got here, I don't know if I want to be here. Or I don't know if I'm in the right practice area. Or I don't know if I'm working in the right setting. Um, I personally went through that that battle, and I was wondering. Um, you know, I, I think you can sort of analogize, you know, you're talking about a lot of personal acceptance as well as professional acceptance. I'm, I'm curious to know what bolstered you, you know, what um, any of these deterrents could make someone go, oh, never mind. Like, I'm going to throw up my hands. I don't I don't need to be a part of the law or, I, or I'm not going to drop out of the Marines. I'm sure more people drop out of basic than stay. Um, and, you know, what was it that kept you? What thing or people or um, things bolster you to keep you, you know, going on your path? Well, I have a very, um, a very good network of people that um, know and love me and that I've known all my life or most of my life. And um, so my, you know, no matter what I'm doing professionally, I am able to stay very grounded through my family, uh, friends from school, friends from um, the Marine Corps, uh, friends who are in law or judges. And the, you know, all along the way, uh, I've maintained and, and cultivated that network. And the, in terms of the, the challenges, they certainly supported me have supported me and still do support me through those challenges. But I think overall, uh, my desire to serve, you know, uh, whether it's the country or the Commonwealth, and uh, a desire for excellence. I think that, you know, we have um, 
we sometimes forget the the benefits of merit just just flat out um whatever you do doing the best that you can do at it i'm a firm believer that whatever you do you should do it at the highest level possible the highest level that you can do it at uh, as a contribution to your community your state the country the world however far your reach can go so i think that um has driven me since school and, and continues to drive me i think that's i think that's great and having a you know, a strong supportive community to assist you and to vent to and to get advice from um, is definitely um, an important um, way to be resilient. Um, one of the things I would ask, and I, I, I see this as analogous, um, and, you know, and the answer may be the same, but I'm just curious, you know, when I asked about, you know, your choice to serve in the Marine Corps and the sort of, you know, considerations given, given its history, um, of the exclusion of different groups of people. Uh, you've gotten some criticism from your own community. I, I'd say the black community is kind of a broad brush for why you would choose to be part of the criminal justice system, um, given the long and complicated history that the black community has had with criminal justice and the police force continues to have justice. And um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I think there um, that the criticisms of being a part of the criminal justice system are valid, and it's you know it, every day I recommit to to the work that I do because there are um, many parts of being in the system, doing this particular job, um, our our history, our being black folks, uh, folks of color, underrepresented people, our history uh, within the system and our treatment, current day disparities uh, that, that still remain. Um, uh, there, and of course, we're all uh, witnesses and traumatized probably by a lot of what we see online as we see uh, things in the criminal justice system play out even from um, uh, police from from the moment of interaction with police all the way through to to trial perhaps if, if it ends in, in a trial there are so many steps and so many points of discretion held by people along the way, from police to DAs to lawyers and judges. Um, and, and all of that discretion matters. So it's, it's pretty much daily that I am thinking about my role in this system and thinking about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, thinking about how I do business and how to make a difference in the disparities that we have seen and have learned exist to this day and in this state. So, you know, even you don't have to go to the Southern states and the states that we all badmouth from, from here up North to find these disparities. They're, they're right here at home as well. So it's a, it's a hard decision. I don't think you do this kind of work judging and not, at, 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 as a black jurist, 
I don't think you do it and not consider your role in this system probably daily. And so it, it does not go, um, it, it's not a, a trivial criticism. And, but I do think that being committed to the role and to making positive change in what happens um, across the board in criminal matters. I think that is an important function and I don't think you get it but for participation in the system. Um, there is always room for outside, um, you know, sort of uh, pressure to change a system, but I think there's also always room inside that system to change it. And I don't think either is less important than the other, but I think they're both necessary. Uh, that's, it, it makes me, what you said, um, makes me think about that Roosevelt quote about, you know, the, the man in the arena, you know, um, it's, it's easy to give criticism when you're on the outside and you're not actually <laughs> participating um, in whatever it is that you're criticizing. And it's the folks who, um, you know, dare to kind of get in the muck and, um, you know, kind of, you know, be in the arena where things are actually happening and to make these difficult decisions are the ones that can really um, have an impact. You can, you know, attempt to create change from the outside, but, you know, you can also get your hands dirty and attempt to make change from the inside and will likely be more effective. Um, so that, that makes a lot of sense to your point. A serious consideration, um, you know, to, to participate. In, and if there were more Black jurists, um, this would probably be less of a discussion because I think there would be an opportunity to impact the bias and the systemic racism and the other things that, you know, historically have gone on in a way with, with numbers. But, um, you know, I think it's really honorable that you are trying to pave the way for, for other folks to come behind you. Speaking of younger younger lawyers, um, you know, the past few years have been really difficult for everyone. Um, COVID due to its awakening with regard to George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, what advice would you give newly minted attorneys who may not have experienced this kind of tumult in their professional lives and personal lives before, you know, perhaps due to their youth, um, maybe they weren't around during the Great Recession um, or some of the other important historical events of the last few years. Um, what what advice would you give young attorneys? It's not smooth sailing. You you it, you know, it doesn't matter. I don't I don't think it matters what uh, decade you're born in or which um, which parts of our history you you are alive for the the issues that we face um, are are pretty constant and it's amazing how um, how resistant to change 
the law is and courts are, courts are some of the hardest places to, to change the culture in. And I think judges are some of the hardest people to persuade to do things differently. And in this profession, um, you, you know, coming up as a lawyer, you are going to experience some kind of uh, bias, maltreatment, disparities, or disparate treatment. Um, and I think the the point is to be ready to uh, deal with that without being surprised that it's happening. I would say be be ready for um, some some trials and tribulations along these lines, and and think about who you want to assist you when that happens and how you want to get through it. What are the things that reduce stress in your life? We we spend a good amount of time right now on self care. I think uh, I think across the across the board, but lawyers and judges are certainly sort of I think a little late to the game when it comes to self-care, mental health, um, and uh, longevity um, due to to good care of yourself. But that's really important. And I think it looks a little different for each person, um, sort of what all the parts are to your self-care. But that's something that no matter how old you are in this business or how experienced you are, I think you've got to Think seriously about and, and put in place so that when you do go through um, the, you know, sort of battles that we have to go through on a, on a daily basis, that you have some uh, a soft landing uh, for, you know, coming out of those situations. You know, you don't want to let things build up inside of you, that they, they will come out. They may come out in ways that, that you don't want. Um, you don't want to be sort of overreactive to things. So you've got to find your own sort of middle ground at dealing with issues at the same time that you're doing the actual work that you do, because that can get lost in the shuffle. And at the same time that you take care of your family and take care of all of your non-work responsibilities. So, you know, there, there's a lot to life and um, taking care of yourself will ensure that you can devote appropriate time to each aspect of your life. And I think that's really important for, for lawyers to keep in mind. Absolutely. Um, last question for you. What, you know, what keeps you calm? What's, you mentioned your friends um, and family. Are there other things, other sort of practices or things you try to do regularly, habits, if you will, um, that help kind of center you? Yes, going to the beach. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I, I essentially have to have some beach time in, in my life to remain sane. Yes. And that's what I mean by, you know, it, it looking different for everyone. And, it, you know, some people you know, listen to music, some people play music, some people sing, some people travel. Um, uh, they're, you know, people fellowship with family and friends, get together with people. There, there are all sorts of things that, that may be helpful in that regard. For me, um, I do like to have copious amounts of downtime if I can where, and I call it unobserved time. 
I think that's important for people where no one is expecting anything of you. So sometimes we feel like we, we're, we're having downtime because we're at home. Well, that can be, but it's not always the case. <laughs> you may have people who live with you or people who depend on you um, where your time still isn't yours or where you're still there's still expectations of you. And I just encourage people to uh, find some time where nothing's expected of you, whatever you like to do in that period of time and and get as much of that as you can. Because I think I find that that's when I do my best thinking and my best planning for the future. Uh, when I literally have some time where I, I don't have to be anywhere, no one needs to speak to me. I don't have to write anything. No one is actually in need of my attention. And if you can carve out some time like that for yourself on a regular basis, I think it's really healthy. And that's one of the things I try to do. I love this and I'm permission to steal. I think it's a Yes, absolutely. Idea. Steal it, use it freely. Yeah, I'm totally doing that. Well, thank you so much for giving me your time today and sharing your experiences with our listeners. I personally found what you said very valuable. I know that our listening audience will too. I sincerely appreciate your time. Thank you so much uh, for this type of podcast and, and for your invitation. I'm, I'm happy to do it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Bouncing Back, Resilience for Lawyers. Join us next time for another story about thriving after overcoming challenges. You can find Bouncing Back and other programming for lawyers on MLA's Legal Talk Network.